of the matter. In Romans chapter 7, we discover the heart of the matter. That is, why is it that we need grace? Why do we need the gospel? Why do we need Jesus Christ? In Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 7 and going through verse 25, the Apostle Paul really gets to the heart of the matter. He really zeroes in, and he really shows us how God zeroes in on the reason why we need a Savior. The reason why we need Jesus Christ. And so I think you're going to um, be able to hear from the Holy Spirit as we open up God's Word today. I believe that whenever we open up God's Word and we ask God to teach us and to speak to us, He does that through His Word. And He does it by the way of the Holy Spirit. Speaking to us and showing us um, who we are on the inside and our need for God's grace Every day. So, the heart of the matter is the title of this morning's message. Follow along with me as I read from Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Paul writes, He says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. That through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. 
I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Father, we ask that uh, your word just become alive in our hearts today. God, would you speak to us? And would we have ears to hear you in your voice? God, make us new today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a very troubling concept that the Apostle Paul is pointing out. If you followed along with what I was reading there, and you read along in your copy of scriptures, there, there are many ways that this passage has been interpreted. Um, I believe that what the Apostle Paul is saying here is consistent with the rest of the book of Romans, and that is that we are saved by grace, and that grace is, is real. Like, it's not, it's not just a religious buzzword that we throw around. It's not just something that's, it's in our statement of faith and, and, and we talk about grace as just some kind of, you know, theological bullet point to our faith statement. No, it's real. It's authentic. And Paul literally explains what grace is, the heart of what grace is, the heart of the matter. He gets to the, to the inside, the inner workings of what salvation is and our constant need, hear me again, our constant need for a Savior. The life of a, of a Christian, someone following Christ, is, is an everyday life of grace. It's, the, it's a constant coming to the Lord with the need of His grace every day. It's not at one point in our life when we, the first time we ever repented of our sins and confessed Christ as our Lord and our Savior... It's not that at that moment we needed God's grace and then for the rest of our Christian life we really didn't need it as much. Paul says that if you're a human being, you have a body and a soul. You have, a, you have flesh and you have spirit. And Christians will constantly, this side of heaven, living in a human body, we will constantly do battle with sin. Do you hear me? You will constantly do battle with with sin. The legalist would say, you will not battle with sin. You will become perfect this side of heaven and then you will live a perfect life. And being a Christian means living perfectly. That's not true. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that, that you can be right with God even this side of heaven, even though you are in a fleshly body with a fleshly mind that thinks about things like he says coveting without even thinking about it, like without even doing it purposefully. And so as we get to the heart of the matter this morning, I want you to notice the first thing he points out in verses 7 through 13. The law shows us what lies beneath. 
The law shows us, first of all, what lies beneath. 7 through 13. He talks about the law when it says that you should not covet things. Now, why is it that he chooses this one? Aren't there many other things in the law? Oh, yeah, there are, there are lots of other things in the law. I hear people all the time say, you know, Christianity is, is not about do's and don'ts. It's not about do this and don't do that. That's true. But the law is a major part of Christianity. It reveals the holiness of God. It also reveals our sinfulness. In some ways, Christianity is about do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs. It's just that Jesus fulfills God's righteous standard. We can't. You cannot perform God's righteous standard. You don't have it within you. You can want to, but Paul points out, he says, let's take this part of the law, the one that says, you shall not covet. And then he gives this scenario. He says, this is what happened to me. He said, before the law came, I was doing fine. I didn't even know better. When I was a kid, my parents would say things like this. Luke, when I would get in trouble, they would say, Luke, you know better than that. You ever say that to your kids? You know better than that, Right? I've said that to my kids. And what do I mean by that? I mean that they are aware of our rules, right? They do something that's against the rules that we have in our house or in our home, maybe to one another, or maybe there's something they did, you know, something they said or something. We say, you, you know better than that. And they go, yeah, you're right, I do. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've said that to my parents. I'm like, yep, I do. I wish... I wish that knowing the rules made me a better person. Does it? Paul says, before I came to know the law, I didn't know that what I was doing all the time was coveting. I saw it was natural. I mean, the people I hung out with, they didn't say anything negative about it. You know, today, I'm afraid that sometimes whenever we think about, whenever we think about this, whenever we think about God's standard and the things that God has revealed in his word where he said, this is against everything that, that I've created you for. This is against my design. God tells us very clearly in his word what his design is for us as human beings and how to live. He tells us what he desires for us. He tells us what's actually for our good. He intends for us to be fruitful and multiply. He intends, in, he intends for us to fill the earth. We see this in the beginning of, of Genesis. And as early as the very beginning, we see mankind deciding, no God, we don't want to do that. We want to uh, make a name for ourselves. We want to build for ourselves a city whose heights can reach the heavens so that when you bring a flood, we ain't got to worry about it anymore. <laughs> we can get up there on the top of things. You can bring the floods if you want to judge us, but we're going to be okay. We have our own way. We've decided in many ways in our society that, that our way is better than God's way, that our design is better than, than his design. God reveals his will to us. And, and when we come face to face with it, when we look at his law, when we look intently in the word, now we have no excuse because he's revealed it to us. He's shown us. He's shown us what, 
biblical relationships look like. He's shown us men and women, how, husbands and wives, how to love one another, parents, how to raise your children, children, how to obey your parents. It doesn't matter what culture is doing. It doesn't matter what's popular. If God has revealed his standard to us, now we know better. That's what Paul's saying. He said, before the commandment came, I didn't know that every time I wanted something that wasn't mine, every time I desired something that, that showed I was not content in what God had given me, I didn't know it was coveting until the law came. It says, you shall not covet. God says, coveting is wrong for his creatures. Paul said, so the commandment comes. You would think that when the commandment comes, it would produce in me righteousness. Well, now I know, now I know what's better. I, I know God's design, but he says it didn't work that way. And here's the problem. Here's why. Because of what lies beneath. Of what lies beneath. And so he says here, he says sin, verse 8, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. He says in verse 9, as we just mentioned, he says, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And the commandment, he's hearkening back to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, he said, which was to result in life proved to result in death for me. So God says early in the Old Testament, he tells his people, here's my law. It's for your good. Abide by my law. Live by my law. And you will do well. I will prosper you. And that was a true promise. And it applied to the nation of Israel during that time as a community. If they would obey God's commandments and not sacrifice to idols in the land of Canaan, God was going to bless them and, pro and, and uh, prosper them. But as individuals, as individuals who need salvation, who need to be saved from their sin, the law cannot save us. The law merely shows us our need for a savior. And so he says, the law is not sin, but what the law does is it shows us, almost on a microscopic level, the problems that we have inside. I was just talking with a friend not long ago who grew up in Florida and he said he loved to swim on the beach. Anybody grew up around the beach? One person. A couple. All right. You miss the beach being here in Maricopa? <laughs> we have beaches. Just no water. Lots of sand between here and Phoenix. He said, man, I love the beach. I miss the beach. I grew up on the beach. I love just go out and sit on the beach and, you know, spend a lot of time out there in the water. And he said, one day, he said, I was unaware he said, I was out swimming on the beach. He said, that night I, I got home, I turned on the news and they were showing aerial footage of the place where I was swimming all day long. He said, and they, were, they showed aerial footage and they were giving a warning to everybody that day that there were shark infested waters. And you could see from the aerial footage the shadows of hammerhead sharks everywhere. And he said, hammerheads are known to be kind of violent, moody. You don't want to swim in waters infested with hammerhead sharks. He said, but I didn't know. 
He didn't know because of his perspective. He couldn't, he didn't have aerial footage. He couldn't see all the shadows. He just walked out into the water where he usually swam. He swam out there all day. He said, man, I had no idea. See, what God gives us in the law is he gives us a, a heavenly perspective, aerial footage of our sin that we can't see. When we think of sin, we usually think of what lies outside of us, right? The things that we get involved in. Like we become sinners if we get involved in something. But what the law shows is not the stuff that you get involved in that makes you a sinner and me a sinner in need of a savior. It's what's inside. It's what's in our heart. And we can't see it. We don't see it without God's law. And so the law shows us what lies beneath. It gives us heaven's perspective or view of our sin. The law also shows us what is lacking within. It shows us what lies beneath and it shows us what is lacking within. Look at verse 14 on. Now, he comes to this conclusion that the law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And then he asks this question, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? And then he responds again in the emphatic May Genoita, may it never be. No, rather it was sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin, verse 13 says, by affecting my death through that which is good. That through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. See, we don't see our sin as utterly sinful. This is the time we don't think sin is that big of a problem. But he says, whenever God gives us the law, he shows us that our sin is utterly sinful. And so something like coveting. Let's just get to the, the basics of coveting. What is coveting? Coveting is desiring something that God hasn't given you. It, it's basically saying to God, you are not enough. You haven't given me enough. Your grace is not enough. Your goodness is not enough. The earliest, the earliest lie of all time is that God is keeping something from you. What it's all about. As a matter of fact, when we look at how Lucifer fell and rebelled against God, it was because he said in his heart, I want to be like the most high. God's keeping something from me and I want it. And then the lie that he, that he spoke into Eve's ear and that Adam took part in listening to and sinning was this. God only knows that in the day that you eat of it, the, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you will be like him He's holding something back from you. Don't you want more? Don't you want more? Coveting is the oldest, the oldest scheme in Satan's playbook where he gets us to look at God and say, what you, who you are and what you've done is not enough for me. I want more. And listen, American Christianity has actually baptized this idea very subtly 
in health and wealth prosperity gospel type of stuff. We've even, we've even taken prayer like the prayer of Jabez from the Old Testament and sold millions of copies of books on the idea that, that, God, that God has more for you, that what you have right now is simply because you have a lack of faith in a God who wants to give you more. Folks, there is a fine line between contentment and discontentment in the Christian life. We have to be very, very careful because when it comes to what Paul is saying here about coveting, it is, it is at the very core of every other sin that we practice. And that is saying to God, God, what you've given me is not enough. I need more. Coveting is the opposite of contentment. And so the law shows us what is lacking within, what we need. What we need are not new behaviors. We don't need a game plan. You know, a few steps. You know what they tell us in, in ministry, uh, many times in church planting, they say you need to learn to be a, a coach for your, for your church, for your members of your church. Learn how to sit down with them and coach them, ask them open-ended questions, get them to, you know, kind of figure things out on their own and, um, you know, lead them, let them figure it out. Let them make good choices. Give them some options. Choose to do this better. Steps, right, to walk closer with God. And that's good, that's practical. But at the heart of our problem, it's not that we need to take new steps toward God. It's that sometimes we need to take a step back and look at who we are on the inside and why we need God. We have to look within. That's what Paul is saying. We don't need to just adjust our life. We need to understand that the problem that we have is spiritual. Look at what he says in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For the thing that I'm doing, the things I'm doing, I don't understand. He's saying it doesn't make sense. I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. He says, I don't want to covet, but coveting is what I do. When I see what others have, when I think about the things that drive me, I want more than God has given me. He says, I do the very thing I don't want to do. And so he says, I agree with the law. I confess that the law is good. But then in verse 17, he says, so now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells in me. So now he's getting to the heart. He says, it's, it's what's going on inside of me. Up here, I want to do better. I want to live better. I, I don't want to covet. I don't want to have these thoughts. He said, but I see something else going on in my heart. David, the great king in the Old Testament, is called a man after God's own what? Heart. A man after God's own heart. And he wasn't a man who was without sin, was he? No, definitely not. 
he committed so many acts of sin that affected his family for the rest of their lives. But the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he, he, said, he prayed things like, God created me a clean heart. Wash me thoroughly. Don't take your spirit away from me. God, I want to live in your presence. See, there's a difference between that, between that and the prayer of someone like Cain who says, oh God, your punishment's too great for me. How am I going to live? Protect me, Lord. Some prayers are, are prayers that don't really care for the fellowship of God and the fellowship of the Spirit. They just want God to protect us, get us through. But the heart that is after God's heart is concerned with what's going on inside. It says, God, I need you to do something in here. Not to just change my environment, but I need you to do something in my heart. That's what Paul's saying here. So confess often. Why? Why should you confess often if you're a Christian? Because you sin often. And I sin often. Folks, may it never be that our church gives off the impression to one another or to anyone else that being a Christian means you stop needing a Savior. That we stop needing to confess our sin to the Lord or to one another. Because that's not the gospel. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we say that we have no sin, we are liars and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful to forgive us of all of our sin. He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's the work of God. So when he shows us what's lacking within, let us confess to him that, Lord, we need regular heart work all the time. He, he, he refers to us Christians as wishers. <laughs> he says, verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present, but the doing is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So who are we? We are wishers. We're not those who write off God's law and say, well, law doesn't matter anymore. Doesn't matter. No, we're wishers. We do wish that we could live according to the law of God, but we know, we know that we can't, that we don't meet God's standard. And when we come face to face with his law, what we do is, because when we see Jesus on the cross who fulfilled all of God's law, we cry out, thank you, Father, for meeting the requirement of your law through your Son. And it's only by our faith in his Son that he can look at us and be pleased. 
and that we can get joy in serving him. So we're wishers. Finally, the gospel saves us through Christ. So the law shows us what lies beneath. The law shows us what is lacking within. But the gospel saves us, frees us by Christ's person and work. Who he is and what he has done. He says in verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. What in the world can I do? Verse 22, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Folks, listen to me. Most people today do one of two things here that Paul mentions, okay? One of two things. When they come to this realization that he comes to, he says, I see a different law in the members of my body waging war. Some people, when they see that, they say, I just give up. I just give up. Others don't come to the conclusion. They don't joyfully concur, that is, with the law of God and the inner man. They don't agree. They don't come to the same conclusion that Paul does when they look into the law. They don't come away from that mirror and say, wow, I'm a sinner. I I am completely morally bankrupt when it comes to God seeing me. I I have no leg to stand on. Some don't come to that conclusion because they're resting on these kind of legalistic understanding of righteousness. But folks, listen. There's a third group. Those of faith. Those who belong to Christ. Those who come to this conclusion that Paul does. He says, I see these two things going on. Wretched man that I am, verse 24, who will set me free from the body of this death? He sees the only, the only righteousness that can save him is a righteousness that Martin Luther called an alien righteousness. A righteousness which existed outside of himself. He says, I don't have what it takes. I don't have it. And he confesses it. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Who can set you free from your body of sin? Who can set you free? He says, God can. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible has an exclamation point after that sentence. Thanks be to God. God does it. He doesn't hit us over the head with a hammer all of our lives saying, if you would just measure up. No. He gives us a way. He provides us a Savior through Jesus Christ, His Son, who meets all of the requirements because He's righteous. He lived a perfect, sinless life. The God-man. Fully God, fully man. God taking on flesh. God incarnate. Died on the cross in our place. And we received, we received by faith, and by faith alone, his substitutionary atonement. That he died for us. That he shed his blood for us. 
So that we, even though we walk around in this sinful body, riddled with sin, and thoughts coming into our mind that defile us, we can still belong to God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, who we are underneath, who we are within, is what, is what damns us. It's what separates us from God. But who Jesus is within, who Jesus was, his identity, the person of Christ, is what sets us free. Perfect, holy, righteous, unblemished lamb of God. Free gift of God to all those who will believe. This is why Paul would say later, if, if you want to bring anything else to the table other than your heart to God, you're not ready because you haven't come to this conclusion. If you're ready to bargain with God and say, God, I've done all these good things, done all these good things, I, I just don't have eternal life yet. That's what the rich young ruler said. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus says, I, I want what you're selling. Everybody tells me that you, you're making sure that they go to heaven when they die. I want some of that. What do I have to do? And Jesus tests him. He says, well, take all of this stuff that you own, sell it, give the money to the poor, and come follow me. The Bible says the rich young ruler said, hmm. in the words of meatloaf, I will do anything for love but I won't do that. Meatloaf is a singer. I know you are thinking about lunch right now. I apologize. I'll do anything, but I won't do that. He loved his stuff, so he went away grieved. If you bring anything to the table to try to barter with God, you're not there yet. If your friends and family and people that you're sharing Christ with are coming to Christ and they're bringing this stuff and they think, I'm going to trade these things where I've, they're not ready yet. We all have to come to the place where Paul says here, where we come to the place where we say, wretched person that I am, there's nothing good in here. I need a savior. I have nothing to bring to the table. When we come to that place before God, then we're ready. Then we're ready. His Holy Spirit makes us ready. He breaks our hearts. And if you're here today and you're a Christian and you're praying for family members and you have neighbors and coworkers and people that you love who you want to see come to Christ, pray that God would break their heart. Pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work in them because it has to happen in here. It has to happen in our hearts. One person once said that it's helpful to think of grace, G-R-A-C-E, as an acronym or acrostic or whatever it's called. Every letter stands for something. And they like to think of it as God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. I think that can be helpful. Jesus died for us. He is our substitute. 
And so a few takeaways before we close. Number one, you should cherish God's law. You should cherish God's law. It's a sign that points you and points me to a Savior. It's a sign that tells us there are sharks in the water. You can't see them. They're there. There's sin, and it's in here, and it needs to be dealt with. You will always, number two, you will always be a sinner. You will always be a sinner, saved by grace. Now, you know, as well as I do, that's not license. The gospel doesn't give us license to continue in sin. We already covered that a couple weeks ago. Should we continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. No, you've died. That's what baptism was all about. You died with Christ. You were raised again to walk a new life. That's God's design for you as a new believer. But you will always be a sinner. Let that change the way you look at other people. And let that change the way you think of your need for God's grace every day. Don't live tomorrow on yesterday's grace. Come to the Lord every day. Say, Lord, I I need you every hour, as the old hymn says. Every hour I need you. Pray that prayer like David. Number three, you always need grace. Number four, you cannot receive God's free gift of salvation. No one can receive God's free gift of salvation without first agreeing with God's law that you desperately need a Savior. That your problem is not what lies outside of you and that's what culture wants you to believe today. That if you could just fix your wife, if you could just fix your husband, if you could just fix your boss, if you could just fix the culture that you live in, then you could follow Jesus better. Not true. Our problem is not what lies outside of us. It's not external. It's not the environment. But it's what lies within you. You have a sinful heart. And then finally, as a Christian, if you're a Christian, you must regularly devote yourself to heart work. Heart work. And heart work is hard work. See, the easy work is, is putting out a, an exterior that everybody looks at and says, man, that's a godly person. That's a godly woman. That's a godly man. That's easy work. That's what a lot of people do. But heart work is hard work. Very difficult. Because you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with God. You have to be honest with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Confessing to the Lord regularly. Confessing to one another. Apologizing and repenting often. And not being afraid to do so. Heart work is hard work. And once you come to this conclusion that you are a wretched person in need of a Savior and you cry out to God, 
to save you through his son, Jesus Christ. You begin a new life as a believer and follower of Christ and you have the Holy Spirit living within you who will never leave you. And that heart work is an everyday thing of living with the Holy Spirit in you. And the Bible says that if you belong to Christ, that Holy Spirit will bear fruit in your life. He will change you, not from the outside in, he will change you from the inside out. That's why I always say, so many times I I try to encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage you. And I, I, I love that that people attend on Sunday morning. It's what's what the church is all about. I love that you get involved in ministries and, and that you serve and that we serve together and that we do these things, these external things together. But what's so important for your Christian walk and for your life is your personal time with God. What you do when no one else is looking. Maybe there are some things you need to challenge yourself with today. When it comes to getting in front of God's word, when it comes to spending time with him, what is your default setting right now? I can tell you what mine is many times. If I have my phone with me, my default setting is to take out my phone and look at email, look at texts, look at social media. What's the world? What's going on in the world today? What's going on out there? So many missed opportunities for what God wants to be doing in here. If I open up his word Spend some time with him, alone with him, without anybody else. So I want to encourage you today. If you're a believer, what is it you can do this week to commit yourself to hard work, knowing that that's the work that needs to continue to be done in your life? And if you're here this morning or watching and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you've never openly professed Christ and been baptized as a profession of your faith publicly and followed him, in faith if you will come to him today and confess God my problem is what's in here and I need you will you save me he will do that he will save you through his son Jesus if you put all your faith and your trust in him I invite you to do that however the Lord would have you decide for Christ this morning